It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide, brought to you by Coors Light. Logan Couture wins it in overtime. Now, now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. Minute 18 to go. Carlson again starts to stride it out. He's to the red line, winds up, drives it in. Net is empty to our right. Sharks in with extra attackers. Sturm behind the goal. Lost it to Corrali, who clears. Score! Sean Corrali has been one of the best players on the ice for the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight. And he sends the cannon into ecstasy. With only 104 left in the game, it's 5-3 Columbus as Corrali gets credit for that goal, his fifth of the season. It is an empty netter. And back to the net comes Kakadin. Uh, we just wanted it to be easy. We thought it was going to be easy, and uh, we were wrong. You know, we just didn't. Can pay a price to win a hockey game, and at this level, you better pay a price. And you know, to me, it was just more of a, a will thing. You know, just the way the goals developed in the third period, in particular, uh, it just seemed like it was more important to them as that game went on. I think I am where a lot of other Sharks fans right now. Like after every win, I'm like, nah, they shouldn't trade Timo Meyer. They shouldn't trade Eric Carlson. They shouldn't trade player X, Y, Z. And then after every loss, I'm like, yeah, you know what? They're right. Blow it up. They need to make a change. Something needs to be different. Something needs to be a dynamic shifter because this team is obviously not getting enough wins. And overall, that just speaks to the inconsistency that is the Sharks this season. I mean, one would think... Right, One would think that given how well the Sharks played against New Jersey and against Dallas, that there would be a pretty good chance that they'd be able to beat Columbus. But no, that is way too consistent and tracks way too clearly because the shocking lack of consistency that we see with the San Jose Sharks is one of the most consistent things we see with the San Jose Sharks. I'm not trying to be cute by saying that. I'm just pointing out the obvious. Like, Game after game, where we think that we have an idea of what we're going to see from the Sharks, they routinely fool us. I mean, all you have to do is the look at the losses to Anaheim or Chicago or any number of team that is towards the bottom of the league, and then you juxtapose that with wins over Dallas or New York, and you just kind of ask yourself, what exactly am I trying to figure out with the San Jose Sharks? Because you can't figure something out. Like, you can't solve an equation if it's con constantly being rebalanced or unbalanced on one side. And I feel like that's what the Sharks are right now. Like, just when we think we have some idea of what they might do well or, and or do poorly, it changes drastically. Like, the 7-1 loss to Edmonton, granted, Capo did not have his greatest game in that appearance. I certainly didn't think the Sharks were going to lose that game 7-1. to the game against New Jersey, that was a painful one where you felt like they had a chance of winning. And then they're down 3 nothing to Dallas before they come storming back to get a win. Like, the one they should have won in there was the Jersey game, and they lost. The game that should have been more highly competitive was the game against Edmonton, and they lost. The game that they should have lost was the game against Dallas, and somehow they won. 
I mean, you start playing these mental gymnastics of trying to figure out what the Sharks are and what they do and how they're going to do it. I mean, I, it's difficult for me. I can only imagine what it's like for the coaching staff because there just is a complete lack of consistency from one game to the next. Like, the, the mistakes change. Like, it's not even that the Sharks are still turning the puck over the same way that they were in months prior. Like, their mistakes, their turnovers, their issues, they change game to game. That is stunning to see. I mean, I really don't know another version of the Sharks that I've ever seen do anything quite like this. And usually when you see bad teams in sports, you know exactly what they're going to be poor at. You can point to any bad Raiders team over the years and you knew they were going to be overpenalized and they were going to turn the ball over too much. Or you look at some of those bad Warriors teams and they simply just had no talent or they were either way too small or way too big or you look at the A's last year and it was like a quadruple A team or you look at you know the earthquakes a couple years ago and they just clearly did not have the right combination and you knew the way in which they were going to lose and that's not even close to what we're seeing happen with the Sharks right now it's like they're figuring out new ways to be problematic they're figuring out new ways to shoot themselves in the foot they're figuring out new ways to lose games and that's the thing is they do figure out ways to lose games. If you're up 2-0 on the road, you should probably have a pretty good chance of winning that game. But when they were up 2-0, I did not feel confident in the slightest. Like, really, not at all. I was thinking to myself, eh, it's not that I'm doing the, oh, there's no such thing as a more dangerous lead in hockey than a two-goal lead, because, no, I, I don't believe that. But I do believe that for the San Jose Sharks, they do not have the ability to just take over a game and close it out. They can't just, you know, go for the kill right then and there. And we've talked about this earlier in the year. And we've talked about this now. I mean, look no further than the game um, against Chicago in which they were up 2-0 and surrendered five straight goals. Now this one, they were up 2-0. It was 2-2. They were up 3-2. And then they lost by a final of 5-3. So slightly different in the overall context of how it went down. But they don't have the overall ability just to close out a game, just to go out there and win it. And I think that Randy said after the game last night that the Sharks have had 20 losses in games in which they were in the lead. That is staggering. That is staggering on a number of levels. I mean, just the the, the sheer numbers of that make that very hard to do. I mean, if you lead in a game, especially if you're the first scoring team, it usually leads to a win. But the fact that they've been in the lead the way that they have, that they've been in the lead late in games, I mean, that's just, it's inexplicable. And again, like I said, I keep on coming back to the idea of, well, keep these players or no, no, trade these players after a loss. And I do think, though, that overwhelmingly we are being told a story in which something has to change. And I know that as human beings, we are all very resistant to change. But what's the alternative here, right? I mean, do we just sit here and watch this Sharks team continue to lose game after game, week after week, month after month, season after season and say to ourselves, well, they have a talented core, Ted. I don't know why they're not winning more games. No, you have to do something. You have to change the dynamic. You have to shake things up. And no, I do not think the problem is David Quinn or the coaching staff, nor do I think that individually the problem is on any of the players because I think the players do play hard. I mean, that's the Sharks' credit this year. They play really hard. They play really well. They just don't do it together well as a group. And the ultimate combination of all these players is not leading to wins. When you combine the mistakes with the roster and the consistency in that capacity, it tells you that this is not a group that as a collective is capable of winning games. And I don't have to point to anything more than their record right now to prove it. And yes, 
The loss of a Luke Cunning did not help things. Marcus Nudavara getting hurt before the season began. That hurt things. Kevin LeBanc being scratched for three straight games. That doesn't help. But again, why is that happening? The answer, beyond the fact that they are not seen eye-to-eye, and you can check out Sheng Peng's article on San Jose Hockey now about that, is just the fact that he is not doing the things that David Quinn wants him to do. Like, ultimately, the combination of all these players is not leading up to success for the San Jose Sharks, and that is why something has to change. And it pains me to say that, and I also know that you know I will have thoughts after the next game they win where I'll think to myself, well, maybe they should keep X, Y, and Z. But no, I mean, they're not winning. And beyond the not winning, they are consistently collapsing. They are consistently problematic. They are consistently losing games in which they have the opportunity to win. And I think that you love the mentality of guys like Logan Couture, like Nico Sturm, um, you know, Eric Carlson's hyper-competitiveness. You love Timo Meyer's game. You love Nick Bonino's game. I mean, you go on and on and down the list. I, there's Every player on the Sharks, I appreciate their effort. More than anything, I appreciate the effort. But at some point, you have to tell yourself that effort is not enough. And I know that is a hard thing to hear in sports, but it's true. Sometimes it doesn't matter how hard you work if the results are not good enough. And as a collective, the Sharks, despite being very hardworking, despite the fact that I feel like they go out there and they give it all for their contracts, they're earning their money. They feel pride and respect and want to represent the Sharks logo when they wear it out there on the ice. It's still not good enough. And again, not trying to be inflammatory, not trying to put this on their shoulders any more than it already is, but all you have to do is look at the results. And that's why, as we get closer and closer to the deadline, yeah, I expect something to change, probably massively. And as much as it's not too much fun to look towards the future, because I'd always rather be winning in the here and now, I mean, that's the overwhelming message that this season has told us. You know, maybe last year they were able to hang around until the bubble um, or be a bubble team until the, the trade deadline. And it was really that trip after the break in which they went and lost, culminating in that it was a bad call. Um, I believe it was hooking on Timo Meyer against Tampa. But, you know, that was like the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back to where they started making trades. And then you look at the year before in the uh, abbreviated schedule, and it was like, yeah, they hung around. And then the 2019-2020 season in which, yeah, they had Tomas Hurdle and Logan Gutscher and Eric Carlson get hurt. And you think maybe if some of those guys come back, um, you know, by the time the year got shut down, maybe they can make a push and sneak into that final spot in the West. Like maybe, maybe all of those things are equally true. But now we are looking at four straight years in which the Sharks with much of the same core have not been able to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I think that's just an overwhelming alarm to going off telling you like, hey, this isn't working. And that's okay. You just don't want to double down on something that isn't working any longer than you have to. And I think that's one of the big reasons that Mike Greer was brought in to make these hard decisions about moving on from core players who have been a huge part of the San Jose Sharks success to which the response would be, well, Ted, if they were a part of the Sharks success before, why aren't they a part of the Sharks success going forward? Maybe some of them are probably not all of them though. And I say that just knowing that you have to figure out how to bring in more overall talent because I look no further than, you know, a guy like Connor McDavid. He is the best hockey player on earth. When his career is done, we might consider him the best player of all time. I can certainly talk to a lot of people and find you a lot of people around the hockey world right now that believe he already is. Has Edmonton made deep runs in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Have they won a Stanley Cup? No. 
That individual talent is not enough. And beyond that, they've got Leon Dreisaitl as well. It's still not enough. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to have good players, but also, like, the Sharks have very good players right now, and the ultimate combination is not leading to a positive outcome game after game after game. Edmonton's problems are a little bit different. Now that they've got Evander Kane on the way back, they're probably going to start correcting, but, you know, they have not been good up to this point of the year. Uh, they were good enough to beat the Sharks 7-1, to but they have not been overall good. So we'll see where their season ends up. I'm mostly looking back at past seasons for Edmonton. But for the Sharks, they've got to figure out what they can do to make their team better overall, to put themselves in a consistent winning position, because right now they are not in a consistent winning position. And when they are in a winning position individually game to game, they are not able to close out games and finish off teams and just take command of a game. David Quinn said after the game last night that the Sharks wanted it to be easy after they were up to nothing. I don't know that they wanted it to be easy per se. I'll take David Quinn's word for it. But I also know that they did not play well enough from that point to put it out of doubt, like to put it out of question, to put it to where you know, you were not going to see a comeback from Columbus, that the worst team in the league entering last night's game felt they had life and was able to breathe life into their game. And I'm sure the reaction that I'm having right now is probably how some Dallas fans felt the other night after the Sharks came back from a 3-0 deficit. But far too often, we're left focusing on what happened and what went wrong as opposed to what went right. And again, the juxtaposition of what happens over the course of a few games, a 7-1 loss to Edmonton that doesn't make any sense a really good performance against New Jersey in which you think to yourself, oh yeah, the Sharks can go with anybody. They can roll with any team in the league. And then the night after that, they go out and come back from Dallas. What was the best win and best moment of the year? And you're thinking to yourself, man, what a feel-good moment. That's the best moment of the year, only to follow it up going out onto the road where they have been better this year, by the way, might I add. And having a signature, I won't call it collapse, but just another one of those games that completely defines the season for the Sharks. Good start, score first, up to nothing, can't hold on to it, and when all is said and done, they have lost. And there is no comeback, there is no great moment of return. Those comebacks, yes, they're great when they happen, but you don't want to count on them. Part of the strategy can never be the hope for a miraculous comeback. They're great. I love them. The other night of the tank was one of the few feel-good moments of the year, and it was awesome. But that's not what you want to be reliant upon. That's not the type of team that you want to be game after game after game after game after game. You would like to be able to take advantage of those 2-0 leads and close it out and make it a no-doubter, make it a laugher. And maybe the Sharks thought they were trending for a laugher last night, and that's what David Quinn means when he thought they when he said they thought it was going to be easy. Maybe that's ultimately what his point was, but to me, it was more just like a consistent factor of what we've seen all year long. No lead is safe. They have shown the ability consistently to be error-prone enough to put themselves in the position to lose just about any lead. And I'm not trying to take credit away from Columbus. Columbus did not let the game get away from them. They kept their heads down. They played a hard-working game, and the Sharks did not match the energy. They did not match the intensity. They did not match the play of Columbus once Columbus kind of rectified themselves. You know, they got a little punch drunk early on, and the Sharks were getting more shots on net, and they were the more aggressive team. And then, you know... Columbus didn't collapse. They kept their spine about them. And then suddenly the Sharks didn't have enough pushback. And yeah, as I talk about this, I'm beginning to understand more about what David Quinn's saying that his team thought it was going to be easy. But you need that response. You need the ability to resist the charge of another team who are inevitably going to get themselves back into it or going to try to get themselves back into it once they go down by a 2-0 score early in their own house. 
You've got to be ready for that pushback. You've got to be ready for the tide to change. How you handle it from that point on is ultimately what defines you as a team. All right, we are going to take a break. On the other side, we're going to get into some post-game sound, and we're going to talk to Aaron Portsline of The Athletic, who covers Columbus. That's all coming up next on Morning Tide. Marlow shoots. He scores! Don't miss the 2023 Sharks Legends game on February 24th at Tech CU Arena, celebrating the legacy of Patrick Marlowe. He scores! Patrick Marlowe in his 100th career playoff. This is your chance to see some of your favorite Sharks players from the past hit the ice again as they pay tribute to Marlowe's legendary career. Alumni scheduled to attend along with Marlowe include Owen Nolan, Mike Ricci, Ryan Clough, Joel Ward, Evgeny Nabokov, and many more. Sharks 365 and Barracuda Battery members will enjoy an exclusive pre-sale that begins January 18th. Keep an eye on your inbox for details. Tickets for the general public go on sale at 10 a.m. January 20th at Ticketmaster. Backhand shot, he scores! Patrick Marleau has done it again. Let's do it again as the Sharks celebrate the legacy of Patrick Marleau. The 2023 Sharks Legends game, February 24th at Tech CU Arena. That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Welcome back to Morning Tide, brought to you by Coors Light. Well, off the faceoff, here's Columbus with the puck. Blankenberg, the center, shoots in. This is where the Sharks desperately need that little insurance. They need to get a go-ahead goal here and put the pressure on the Blue Jackets. Columbus, though, working hard. They put it on the left. Nyquist shoots, score! Boone Jenner takes the puck away as the Sharks struggling to break out of the zone. And former Shark Gus Nyquist, carrying it in the left circle, puts the puck with a wrist shot up top on Kakinen, giving the Jackets the 4-3 lead with 7.22 left. And the cannon goes off once again here in Central Ohio. Yeah, I mean, tonight it was just, I mean, to me, a disregard of if I make a play, you know, what can go wrong. And, you know, it was, you know, decision-making with the puck was bad tonight. I mean, we, we, we tried things regardless of what the consequences might be. And, I mean, the odd man rushes they could have. I mean, the bounces that went our way or for some of the potential odd man rushes they had, we were fortunate in a lot of ways. And, uh, we just sold out for offense way, way too often tonight and, you know, just didn't dig in. We just didn't dig in. In retrospect, it did feel like there was a lot of just carelessness with the puck last night. Like there was a, a confidence that things would go their way and when they didn't, that they didn't have a lot of pushback. Because it wasn't like the the awful turnovers that we've seen at certain points this year, like Tomas Hurdle against Toronto or Matt Betting behind the net. I forget who they were playing in that game, but last night it was just like the game wasn't hard enough. The edge wasn't there enough from the San Jose Sharks. And if it's not there in the NHL, you are going to pay for it time and time and time again. You are most definitely going to pay for it. Uh, Kapokokkanen was not great last night. Didn't think he was terrible. However, this is what uh, head coach David Quinn had to say after the loss. I didn't think we did much to help him at all. But really, I'm disappointed in our group to, for not you know playing better for him. We got to do a better job and you know. The scoring chances can't be that 
big of a change of possession where you're not prepared to be in D zone structure or whatnot. But <clears throat> I didn't think we did a lot right. You know, even after the first, I didn't feel great about our first period. And uh, I know what the shots were and what it may, might have felt like, but. I, I really didn't love our, our first period, and uh, even at two nothing, you could sense that we just weren't doing the things we needed to do, and uh, you know, inevitably it caught up to us. And before we go to a response from Capo on what he thought of his game last night, I just wanted to touch on kind of following up on what Quinn said there, and that is that they weren't doing what they needed to do. Yeah, I mean, I think we're just, you know, I think that's I don't know whether it's immaturity or or whatnot. I mean, to me, you know, to. to you know, do what we did in this game uh, with our record uh, is surprising, very surprising. And we just, uh, you know, to me, we're at our best when we're on top of people and have an edge to our game. And we've done that for the most part, but certainly not tonight. And give them credit. I mean, they, I thought they got better and better as the game went on. They won you know, the last, the fourth goal is very indicative of the way the game went the second half. They just wanted a little bit more. They were a little bit quicker, uh, harder on pucks and a lot more simplistic to their approach and um, you know, give them a ton of credit. I think the reference to the simplification that we saw from Columbus was something that we needed to see from the Sharks but didn't. I felt like far too often the Sharks were in the process of making life difficult on themselves when it didn't need to be. I mean, sometimes simplify, simplify, simplify is the answer. Now, it doesn't mean it answers every question, but in individual moments of the game, you do just need to make things simple. You need to get yourself away from trying to do too much and just focus on the here and now to give yourself the best chance to win. Here's Capo. Felt good. Um, felt that made some good saves. A um, couple of, couple of uh, bonuses that, you know, unfortunate but felt good that's all I can say and, and, and this is obviously really frustrating uh to come short uh in a game like that I think we we all really feel we uh we could have won yeah it's the constant refrain this year of games they could have won games they had the opportunity when we've had this same conversation over and over and over and we talk about the team's inability to finish off the opposition it's something that Nico Sturm touched on when speaking with the media after the loss Right. I mean, at some point you got to learn and find a way to to put teams away, and um, and where you could you could maybe argue, or, hey, we're making we're maybe lacking that kind of killer instinct. But I think at the end of the day, it, it came down to effort. And if you look at the battles that we lost tonight, that kind of that's a tell-all story of why we lost the game. They they deserve to win. It's always good to listen to Nico when he does speak, but yeah, you could hear it in his voice. He was upset about the way they lost, another missed opportunity, the lack of killer instinct. I mean, it's the many storylines that we've talked about with the Sharks all year long, and it's why we're in the conversation of talking about Connor Bedard game after game after game, which was something that I did talk with Aaron Portsline of The Athletic about uh, when we spoke before yesterday's game. And I was talking about, you know, the, the similarities between the Sharks and Columbus up to this point of the season. Columbus, to me, very much in the same way like the Sharks. They're two teams that both, and it's a bit of a cliche, but they literally don't know how to win. Yeah, and, and as silly as that sounds at the NHL level, yeah, there are teams that, you know, especially super, really young teams, and this team is young as it is, but it's been it's been made younger by all, all of its injuries. Mm -hmm. There are guys in the lineup that, uh, quite frankly, would not be under normal circumstances. It's better now than it has been, but I think 
I believe they've only carried a lead into the seventh period Columbus. I'm talking about seven times this year. Uh, so not a lot of, yeah, seven times they've, they've had the lead after two periods. So mm. not a lot of closing out games, not a lot of opportunities to it. And you could just feel when it's three, nothing and early second Anaheim scores to make it three to one. You just, you, you go, Oh boy, second periods have been such a struggle for them this year that, that even with the three goal lead to start the period, a two goal lead now pretty early, all the cards are on the table, even against a team that has struggled just as bad as Columbus has right. with Anaheim. Um, it, this is not going to be, nothing is going to be cut and dried here. Well, Anaheim for, for reference is one of the teams in San Jose, the Sharks with five minutes left, were up four, uh, two and Anaheim tied it um, to send it to overtime. Then it went to a shootout and Anaheim yeah. won. I mean, it's just one of those things where, it was like the, the Sharks have been very, very bad at home for reasons that I can't quite explain and is a pretty stark departure compared to what, you know, the franchise for my entire life has looked like. And that's a team that yeah. has won at home. So it's it's been very odd. Um, the other one, and I'm sure that you, um, you know, you like me wade into the waters of social media, but I am willing to bet a large amount of the comments you get on your pieces or the, the tweets that you get are about a Connor Bedard. And I, you know, I get it. I understand. I, I love the hype around these young athletes. I'm always hopeful that they will turn into the next big thing. But there is no guarantee, A, that if you get the fewest points, you will get that number one pick, or B, that they will live up to the hype. I mean, hockey, it seems like it's a little bit easier to judge the talent, but and we can go back and talk about guys in any sport that everyone thought was going to be the next big thing, but turned out, in fact, to not be the next big thing. Yeah, there is no exact science. To your point, if you have the worst record in the league, which is obviously still to be determined, Columbus is there right now, Chicago and Anaheim are giving them a, a challenge. Who knows? Some other teams may drift into that territory as well. If you have the worst record in the league, you have a 25% chance of getting the number one pick. Um, obviously the other side of that math is you have a 75% chance of not getting it. <laughs> There's no way you can, you can uh, finish a season with a likely opportunity to get the number one pick. And then, as you said, like, listen, I, I think Connor Bedard's going to be, a star player, a superstar player. Um, but the draft is not an exact science. Look, mm-hmm. go back, look, look through any year's results. I've always said, you know, the answer to which team is really good at drafting is none of them. Like just look <laughs> at any team's drafts. And even in the first round, there are head scratchers and, and let's not talk about that year. And then there are players in the third and the fourth round that, that pop. Um, having said that, if you're a team in the situation of Columbus or whoever is in the running for it this year, all you have to do is look at Colorado, Pittsburgh, look at New Jersey now, mm-hmm. Edmonton, some of these teams that have, have elevated, even even Tampa Bay with Hedman and Stamkos quite a while ago now. But those are the players that have spearheaded that organization. McKinnon in, in Colorado, Crosby and Malkin and Fleury in, in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. It is those guys that help build. It's 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 not a sure thing, but it is a one of the surest ways to really elevate your franchise quickly, rather than to bank on free agency or mid round draft picks to really pop. So you hope that that is the reward at the end of a long season, but we'll see. 
And then to jump ahead a little bit, we talked about Eric Carlson and the conversation around him and whether or not you could ever trade him and his contract had completely changed since October. Yeah, and for me, he's he's just the latest example in sports of why you should never quite say never <laughs> really about anything because I, I, I did not see this coming from Eric Carlson this year. I, I mean, I don't follow the Sharks close enough to – obviously to have a strong opinion on Carlson, but I would have certainly taken the under on 15 goals and 62 assists at this point of the season. He's having an incredible season and it's gone from what, what surely was an untradeable contract to now who who the hell knows. I mean, (laughs) there, you know, the concern now is not what it would teams want him. Cause I think that was the concern before the season when anybody want him at that money, now I think the, the challenge is, can anybody afford him at right. that money, given the salary cap restraints? Um, but I definitely think a player who's producing like he is again, there's a market. I still think a lot of people would be wary of the remaining term on that contract. But, may, you know, that could be the best thing that comes from a Sharks season is getting out from underneath one of those massive contracts and sort of giving themselves new life in the years to come. If you want to hear that entire interview with Portsline, he joined me yesterday on the build-up. Just look for Game 47, the build-up, versus Columbus, which is available on the Sharks Hockey Digest podcast. You can also get it on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app, presented by Western Digital, but we are just about out of time. But the Sharks have a quick turnaround, so after you listen to Morning Tide today, be sure to join me on the build-up. That'll be airing the first time at 1 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, It'll be available before that on download uh, for podcasts. But today is another opportunity for the Sharks to show that they can play with just about anyone, and they've got Boston, the best team in the league, and they played them tough the last time they Saw them home a couple weeks ago, and even though it didn't end the way I think we would have liked it to, it's still another opportunity for the Sharks to try and figure out what went wrong yesterday, rectify it, and move along. All right, we are just about out of time. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off. You've been listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide, brought to you by Coors Light on the Sharks Audio Network.